Hello, my name is Alex Markley, and I'm inviting you to check out my new podcast. It's a surreal sci-fi comedy series called The Unlikely Adventures of an Improbable Family. It's about a forlorn shell of a man, his egotistical laptop, a cartoon alien fuzzball, and a mysterious woman with telepathic abilities. You can find The Unlikely Adventures on the web at unlikely.show or wherever you find your podcasts. Give it a listen and let me know what you think. And thanks. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The remarkable thing about atomic afterbath dusting powder was that it gave you that lovely, radiant atomic look, just the way the advertisement said it would. In fact, it also gave you a little something more. Breeder Reaction by Winston Marks. That's next on the Lost Sci-Fi Podcast. With at least one lost vintage sci-fi short story in every episode. We received more emails and comments last week than ever before. And you overwhelmingly said longer episodes would be a good thing. So in a few weeks, look for either a Ray Bradbury not-so-short story or a Philip K. Dick story. Send us an email scott at lost sci-fi.com or leave a comment and tell us which vintage sci-fi author you prefer thanks to you our podcast is now number four in poland for science fiction podcasts thanks to our listeners in warsaw and gdansk and all of poland we received our first email from zambia recently i found your channel a couple of months ago on youtube and I love how you narrate and listen to you almost every morning. I have a hard time finding Jack Vance books. Maybe you could narrate some of his work. Please and thank you. Namukale. Well, Namukale, your request is my command. You will hear Jack Vance in two weeks. Winston Marks returns to the Lost Sci-Fi Podcast today for his fourth appearance and just three weeks after The Water Eater. Today's story can be found in the April 1954 If Worlds of Science Fiction magazine. The very first story in the magazine is Philip K. Dick's The Golden Man, which you will hear in a future episode. Turn with me to page 29 
breeder reaction by Winston Marks the advertising game is not as cut and dried as many people think sometimes you spend a million dollars and get no results and then some little low-budget campaign will catch the public's fancy and walk away with merchandising honors of the year let me sound a warning however when this happens watch out there's always a reason for it and it isn't always just a matter of bright slogans and semantic genius sometimes the product itself does the trick and when this happens people in the industry lose their heads trying to capitalize on the freak good fortune this can lead to disaster may i cite one example i was on loan to elaine templeton inc the big cosmetics firm when one of these prairie fires took off and as product engineer from the firm of bailey hazlett and persons advertising agency i figured i'd struck pure gold my assay was wrong it was fool's gold on a pool of quicksand madame elaine herself had called me in for consultation on a huge lipstick campaign she was planning you know now at last a truly kiss-proof lipstick the sort of thing they pull every so often to get the ladies to chuck their old lip goo and invest in the current dream of non-smearability it's an old gimmick and the new product is never actually kiss-proof but they come closer each year and the gals tumble for it every time well they wanted my advice on a lot of details such as optimum shades a new name size shape and design of container and they were ready to spend a hunk of moolah on the build-up you see when they give a product a first-class advertising ride they don't figure on necessarily showing a profit on that particular item if they break even they figure they're ahead of the game because the true purpose is to build up the brand name you get enough women raving over the new elaine templeton lipstick and first thing you know sales start climbing on the whole line of assorted aids to seduction since et inc was one of our better accounts the old man told me to take as long as was needed so i moved into my assigned office in the 12-story et building secretary scott's supply ice bags ulcer pills and all and went to work setting up my survey staff this product engineering is a matter of cut and try in some fields you get some ideas knock together some samples try them on the public with a staff of interviewers tabulate the results draw your conclusions and hand them over to production with a prayer if your ad budget is large enough your prayer is usually answered because the american public buys principally on the we know what we like and we like what we know principle make them know it and they'll buy it maybe in love absence makes the heart grow fonder but in this business familiarity breeds nothing but sales madam elaine had a fair staff of idea boys herself in fact every other department head had some gimmick he was trying to push to get personal recognition the old hag liked this spirit of initiative and made it plain to me i was to give everyone a thorough hearing this is one of the crosses you have to bear everyone but the janitor was swarming into my office with suggestions and more than half of them had nothing to do with the lipstick campaign at all 
So I dutifully listened to each one, had my girl take impressive notes, and then lifted my left or my right eyebrow at her. My left eyebrow meant file them in the wastebasket. This is how the atomic afterbath dusting powder got lost in the shuffle, and later I was credited with launching a new item, on which I didn't even have a record. It came about this way. Just before lunch one day, one of the old hag's promotion-minded pixies flounced her fanny into my interview chair, crossed her knees up to her navel, and began selling me her pet project. She was a relative of the madame, as well as a department head, so I had to listen. Her idea was corny, a new dusting powder with a tumian added, to be called Atomic Afterbath Dusting Powder. Atomic, A-T-U-M-M-Y-C, of course, being a far-fetched play on the word atomic. What delighted her especially was that the intimate, meaningful word tummy occurred in her coin trade name. And this was supposed to do wonders in stimulating the imaginations of the young females of man-catching age. As I said, the idea was corny. But the little hazel-eyed pixie was not. She was about twenty-four, black-haired, small-waisted, and bubbling with hormones. With her shapely knees and low-cut neckline, she was a pleasant change of scenery from the procession of self-seeking middle-agers I'd been interviewing. Not that her motive was any different. I stalled a little to feast my eyes. This uh, Tumian added item, I said. Just what is a Tumian? That's my secret, she said, squinching her eyes at me like a fun-loving little cobra. My brother is assistant head chemist, and he's worked up a formula of fission products we got from the Atomic Energy Commission for experimentation. Fission products, I said. That stuff's dangerous. Not this formula, she assured me. Bob says there's hardly any radiation to it at all. Perfectly harmless. Then what's it supposed to do? I inquired naively. She stood up, placed one hand on her stomach and the other behind her head, wiggled and stretched. Atomic bath powder will give milady that wonderful, vibrant, atomic feeling, she announced, in a voice dripping with innuendo. All right, I said. That's what it's supposed to do. Now, what does it really do? Smells good and makes her slippery dry, like any other talcum she admitted quite honestly. It's the name and the idea that will put it across. And half a million dollars, I reminded her. I'm afraid the whole thing is a little too far off the track to consider it this time. I'm here to make a new lipstick go. Maybe later. I appreciate that. But honestly, don't you think it's a terrific idea? I think you're terrific, I told her, raising my left eyebrow at my secretary. And we'll get around to you one of these days. Oh, Mr. Sanders, she said, exploding those big eyes at me and shoving a half-folded sheet of paper at me. Would you please sign my interview voucher? In Madame Elaine's organization, you had to have a written excuse for absenting yourself from your department during working hours. I suppose that the paper I signed was no different from the others. 
Anyway, I was still blinded by the atomic blast of those hazel eyes. After she left, I got to thinking it was strange that she had me sign the interview receipt. I couldn't remember having done that for any other department heads. I didn't tumble to the Pixies' gimmick for a whole month. Then I picked up the phone one day, and the old man spilled the news. I thought you were making lipstick over there. What's this call for ad copy on a new bath powder? The incident flashed back in my mind, and rather than admit I had been bypassed, I lied. You know the madame. She always gets all she can for her money. The old man muttered. I don't see taking funds from the lipstick campaign and splitting them off into little projects like this, he said. Twenty-five thousand bucks would get you one nice spread in the post. But what kind of a one-shot campaign would that be? I mumbled excuses, hung up, and screamed for the pixie. My secretary said, Who? Little Sexy Eyes, the atomic bath powder girl. Without her name, it took an hour to dig her up, but she finally popped in, plumped down, and began giggling. You found out. How? I demanded. Did you arrange it? Easy. Madame Elaine's in Paris. She gave you a free hand, didn't she? I nodded. Well, when you signed your okay on the Atomic, that was an interview voucher. Not exactly, she said, ducking her head. The damage was done. You don't get ahead in this game by admitting mistakes, and the production department was already packaging and labeling samples of Atomic bath powder to send out to the distributors. I had to carve the $25,000 out of my lipstick budget and keep my mouth shut. When the ad copy came over from my firm, I looked it over, shuddered at the quickie treatment they had given it, and turned it loose. Things were beginning to develop fast in my lipstick department, and I didn't have time to chase the powder thing like I should have, since it was my name on the whole damn project. So I wrote off the money and turned to other things. We were just hitting the market with Madame Elaine Templeton's kiss mat when the first smell of smoke came my way. The pixie came into my office one morning and congratulated me. You're a genius, she said. Like the kiss mat campaign, do you? I said, pleased. It stinks, she said, holding her nose. But atomic bath powder will pull you out of the hole. Oh, that. I said. When does it go to market? Done went. A month ago. What? Why, you haven't had time to get it out of the lab yet. Using a foreign substance, you should have had an exhaustive series of allergy skin tests on a thousand women before... I've been using it for two months myself, she said. And look at me. See any rashes? I focused my eyes for the first time and what I saw made me wonder if I were losing my memory. The pixie had been a pretty little French pastry from the first, but now she positively glowed. Her skin even had that radiant atomic look, right out of our corny, low-budget ad copy. What have you done to yourself? Fallen in love? With atomic afterbath powder, she said smugly. And so have the ladies. The distributors are all reordering. Well, these drug sundries houses have some sharp salesmen out, 
and I figured the bath powder must have caught them needing something to promote. It was a break. If we got the $25,000 back, it wouldn't hurt my alibi a bit, in case the Kismet production failed to click. Three days later, the old man called me from the New York branch of our agency. Big distributor here is hollering about the low budget we've given to this atomic bath powder thing, he said. He tells me his men have punched it hard, and he thinks it's catching on pretty big. Maybe you better talk to madame out of a few extra dollars. The old hag's in Europe, I told him, and I'm damned if I'll rob the Kismet lipstick deal anymore. It's mostly spent anyway. The old man didn't like it. When you get the distributors on your side, it pays to back them up. But I was too nervous about the wobbly first returns we were getting on the Kismet campaign to consider taking away any of the unspent budget and throwing it into the bath powder deal. The next day, I stared at an order from a West Coast wholesaler and began to sweat. The pixie fluttered it under my nose. Two more carloads of atomic bath powder, she gloated. Two more carloads? Certainly. All the orders are reading carloads, she said. This thing is busted wide open. And it had. Everybody, like I said earlier, lost their head. The bath powder plant was running three shifts and had back orders chin high. The general manager, a joker named Jennings, got excited, cabled Madame Elaine to get back here pronto, which she did. And then the panic was on. The miracle ingredient was this Atumian, and if Atumian sold bath powder, why wouldn't it sell face cream, rouge, mud pack, shampoos, fingernail polish, and eyeshadow? For that matter, the old hag wanted to know, why wouldn't it sell Kismet lipstick? The answer was, of course, that the magic legend contains the exclusive new beauty aid Atumian did sell these other products. Everything began going out in carload lots as soon as we had the new labels printed. And to be truthful, I breathed a wondrous sigh of relief. Because up to that moment, my Kismet campaign had promised to fall flat on its lying crimson face. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Where's that dust coming from? Still finding debris after vacuuming? UVX10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 PA of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets. And it's totally hands-free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. The staggering truth about Atumian seeped in slowly. Item one. Although we put only a pinch of it in a whole barrel of talcum powder, it did give the female users a terrific complexion. 
Pimples, blackheads, warts, freckles, and even minor scars disappeared after a few weeks. And from the very first application, users mailed us testimonials swearing to that atomic feeling of loveliness. Item 2. About one grain of atumian to the pound of lipstick brought out the natural color of a woman's lips and maintained it there even after the lipstick was removed. Item 3. There never was such a shampoo. For once, the ad copywriters failed to exceed the merits of their product. A tumian-tinted hair took on a sparkling look, a soft texture, and a natural-appearing wave that set beauty operators screaming for protection. These beauticians timed their complaint nicely. It got results on the morning that the whole thing began to fall to pieces. About 10 a.m., Jennings called a meeting of all people concerned in the Atomic Powder Project, and they included me as well as the pixie and her brother, the assistant chemist. Everyone was too flushed with success to take Jennings' opening remark too seriously. It looks like we've got a winner that's about to lose us our shirts, he said. He shuffled some papers and found the one he wanted to hit us with first. The beauticians claim we are dispensing a dangerous drug without prescription. They have brought suits to restrain our use. Madame Elaine, in her mannishly tailored suit, was standing by a window, staring out. She said, The beauticians never gave us any break anyway. Hell with them. What's next? Jennings lifted another paper. I agree but they sick the pure food and drug people on us. They tend to concur. Let them prove it first, the old hag said, turning to the pixie's brother. Eh, Bob? It's harmless, he protested. But I noticed that the pixie herself, for all her radiance, had a troubled look on her face. The general manager lifted another paper. Well, there seems to be enough doubt to have caused trouble. The pure food and drug labs have bypassed the courts and put in a word to the Atomic Energy Commission. The AEC has cut off our supply of the fission salts that go into atumium, pending tests. That brought us all to our feet. Madame Elaine stalked back to the huge conference table and stared at Bob the chemist. How much of the gunk do we have on hand? About a week's supply at present production rates. He was pale, and he swallowed his Adam's apple three times. The worst was yet to come. The pixie looked around the table, peculiarly unchanged by the news. She had trouble in her face, but it had been there from the start of the conference. I wasn't going to bring this up just yet, she said. But since we're here to have a good cry, I might as well let you kick this one around at the same time. Maybe you won't mind shutting down production after all. The way she said it froze all of us, except the madame. The madame said, Well, speak up. What is it? I've been to twelve different doctors, including eight specialists. I've thought and thought until I'm half crazy, and there just isn't any other answer, the pixie said. She stared at us and clenched her fists and beat on the shiny table. You've got to believe me. There just isn't any other answer. 
Two men is responsible for my condition, and all twelve doctors agreed on my condition. Still standing, Madame Elaine Templeton grabbed the back of her chair until her knuckles turned white. Don't tell me the stuff brings on hives or something. The pixie threw back her head, and a near-hysterical laugh throbbed from her lovely throat. Hives, hell, I'm pregnant. Well, we were all very sorry for her, because she was unmarried, and that sort of thing is always clumsy. At that moment, however, none of us believed the connection between her condition and the Tumian. Being a distant relative of the madame, she was humored to the extent that we had the lab get some guinea pigs and douse them with Elaine Templeton's after-bath powder, and they even professed to make a daily check on them. Meanwhile, production ground to a halt on all Atumian-labeled products, which was everything, I think, but the eyebrow pencils. With every drugstore and department store in the country screaming to have their orders filled, it was a delicate matter and took a lot of string pulling to keep the thing off the front pages. It wasn't the beautician's open charges that bothered us, because everyone knew they were just disgruntled. But if it leaked out that the AEC was disturbed enough to cut off our fission products, every radio, newspaper, and TV commentator in the business would soon make mincemeat of us over the fact that a Tumian had not been adequately tested before marketing. And this was so right. We took our chances and submitted honest samples to the Bureau of Weights and Measures and the Pure Food and Drug Labs and held our breath. The morning the first report came back in our favor, there was great rejoicing. But that afternoon, our own testing lab sent up a man to see Jennings, and he called me instantly. Sanford, get up here at once. The guinea pigs just threw five litters of babies. Congratulations, I told him. That happens with guinea pigs, I understand. You don't understand, he thundered at me. This was test group F6, all females, and everyone has reached maturity since we bought and segregated them. There must be some mistake, I said. There better be he told me. I went to his office, and together we picked up the madame from her penthouse suite. She followed us into the elevator reluctantly. Absurd! Absurd! was all she could say. We watched the lab man check the ten adult pigs one by one. Even as inexpert as I am in such matters, it was evident that all ten were females and the five which had not yet participated in blessed events were but hours from becoming mothers. We went our separate ways, stunned. Back in my office, I pulled out a list of our big wholesale accounts where the Atumian products had been shipped by the carloads. The warehouses were distributed in every state of the Union. Then I ran my eye down the list of products which contained the devilish Atumian. There were 38 in all, including a complete line of men's toiletries, shaving lotion, shampoo, deodorant, and body dusting powder. I thank God that men didn't have ovaries. Dolores Donay, that was the pixie's name, 
opened my door and deposited herself gingerly in a chair opposite me. I said, You look radiant. She said, Don't rub it in, and I'll have a shot of that. I shared my Hagen Hague with her, and we drank to the newly departed bottom of the world. My secretary tried to give me a list of people who had phoned and a stack of angry telegrams about back orders, but I waved her away. Dolores, I said, there must have been a boy guinea pig loose in that pen. It's just too fantastic. Are you accusing me of turning one loose just to get off the hook myself? She snapped. What you've got, excuses won't cure, I told her. But we've got to get facts. My God, if you're right, we've sworn everyone to secrecy, she said. There's a $10,000 bonus posted for each employee who knows about this, payable when the statute of limitations runs out on possible litigation. You can't swear the public to secrecy, I said. Think a minute, she said coldly. The married women don't need excuses, and the single girls, who will believe them? Half of them, or better, have guilty consciences anyway. The rest? They're in the same boat I was, without a lab full of guinea pigs to back them up. But how did it happen in the first place? Bob has been consulting the biologist we retain. He keeps asking the same question. He says parthenogenesis in higher life forms is virtually impossible. Bob keeps pointing at the little pigs, and they're going round and round. They're examining the other eleven test pens now, but there's no question in my mind. I have a personal stake in this experiment, and I was very careful to supervise the segregation of males and females. My sanity returned in one glorious rush. There was the bugger factor, Dolores herself. In her eagerness to clear her own skirts, Dolores had tampered with the integrity of the experiment. Probably she had arranged for artificial insemination just to be sure. The tip-off was the 100% pregnancy of one whole test batch, 10 out of 10. Even if one bucket slipped in inadvertently and someone was covering up the mistake, why, you wouldn't expect anything like a 100% take. Dolores, I said, you are a naughty girl in more ways than one. She got up and refilled her glass, shaking her head. The ever-suspicious male, she said. Don't you understand? I'm not trying to dodge my responsibility for my condition. The whole mess is my fault from beginning to end. But what kind of a heel will I be if we get clearance from the AEC and start shipping out atomic products again, knowing what I do? What's more, if we let the stuff float around indefinitely, someone is going to run comprehensive tests on it, not just allergy test patches like they're doing at the government labs right now. Yeah, I said. So we all bury the hottest promotion that ever hit the cosmetics industry and live happily ever after. She hit the deck and threw her whiskey glass at me, which did nothing to convince me that she wasn't telling the tallest tale of the century to be conservative. We sat and glared at each other for a few minutes. Finally, she said, You're going to get proof, 
and damned good proof any minute now. How so? Nothing this experiment revealed would be valid to me, I figured, now that I was convinced she had deliberately fouled it up. Bob and the biologist should be up here any minute. I told them I'd wait in your office. I know something you don't. I'm just waiting for them to verify it. She was much too confident, and I began to get worried again. We waited for ten minutes, fifteen, twenty. I picked up the phone and dialed the lab. The woman assistant answered and said that the two men were on their way up right now. I asked, what have they been doing down there? She said, they've been doing cesarean sections on the animals in test pen M4. Cesarean sections, I repeated. She affirmed it, and Dolores Donay got a tight little humorless smile on her face. I hung up and said, they're on their way up, and what's so funny? She said, you know what I think? I think you've been using atomic products on you. So what? I demanded. I was responsible for this campaign, too. I've been waiting for a rash to develop almost as long as you have. She said, when Bob comes in, look at his complexion. All three of us have been guinea pigs, I guess. I still don't see what's so damned amusing. She said, you still don't get it, eh? All right, I'll spell it out. Caesareans performed on test batch M4. So? The M stands for male, she said. She timed it just right. The hall door opened and Bob trailed in with a dazed look. The biologist was half holding him up. His white lab smock was freshly bloodstained, and his eyes were blank and unseeing. But for all his distress, he was still a good-looking young fellow. His skin had that lovely, radiant, atomic look, just like mine. The End Breeder Reaction by Winston Marks Next week on the Lost Sci-Fi Podcast... Fear and misfortune stalk the strange byways of a lonely planet. A Walk in the Dark by Arthur C. Clarke. That's next week on the Lost Sci-Fi Podcast with at least one lost vintage sci-fi short story in every episode.